by the time you hear this podcast, you'll realize the Grammys are full of. Went really hard about the Grammys in a way. Um, man, you kind of you drag the Grammys in the mud when you talk about um, you have a few Grammys, but you feel like you had to sell your soul to get them. And um, you didn't know if you wanted it for, for the recognition or the trophies, but then what's the difference? You know, and that Grammys pretty much suck the blood of artists and nominate them, have them come to the shows. and Which they do. They do it every fucking year. Yeah. And I, I, I got, I'm just tired of seeing it. And for whatever reason, it's like they're always pitching this hint that you might win album of the year, which is a, used to be a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sat at home this year for the Grammys and watched Jay and Kendrick not get it. And I felt like one of them should have got it. I felt like Joyner Lucas should have won a Grammy for I'm Not Racist. Yeah. Absolutely should have won a fucking Grammy. Every year we, we, we went, it was, I would be up for album of the year and then the winner is Nora Jones. Who? And I, I don't, I'm not even trying to say anything bad about her music. I just, at that point, I had never heard of her. Yeah. And none of my friends did either. You know what I'm saying? So we were like, okay, whatever. And then Steely Dan. Okay, I know who Steely Dan is. I know Steely Dan back in the day. You know what I'm saying? But more than the Marshall Mathers LP impact, like, okay, fine. I watched 50, same shit. 50 did not win Best New Artist at the Grammys. There was nothing bigger than 50. Nothing bigger. And nobody, yeah. nobody since maybe like Snoop came out the gate mm-hmm. like that. My first album didn't do it. I never saw someone's first album and the, the wave happen like he had. And then he doesn't get it. And then I get up there another year. And what was it, the Eminem show? And it was like, whatever. I'm fine if I lose to fucking Kanye or someone that I'm like, okay, I respect that. I know who that is. And Kanye has a huge following and he's made a massive impact on music. Fine, I'm good with that. But don't fucking get us all here to use your selling point for your fucking show and stiff everybody every single fucking time. And I said, after that point in time, I was like, don't ever ask me to fucking come here again. Please do not ask me. My answer is no for a hundred million years. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And welcome to episode 161. Yay, yay. And uh, thank you to everyone who's downloaded and listened so far. We are still the number one music history podcast in the world. I'm not getting any more specific than that. In the world. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Come at me. (laughs) So um, we, uh, yeah, I know we've been off for a couple weeks. A lot of of things have happened. uh, But I think we should just get right into the music news. Big story. Um, Big story. Clearly, the biggest story is the uh, Astro World uh, tragedy. I mean, with what two months left in the year, this might go down as the biggest story in music all year. Yeah, um, with everything that's happening surrounding it—the lawsuits, the deaths, the <sighs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, for those who 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 don't know, um, Travis Scott. This was his the third annual Astro World Festival. Had you? I'd never heard of this festival before. This had you? Uh, no. I thought I I thought he um, I thought it was uh, 
I maybe I've heard it when it first happened because this was the third one. Yeah, I thought it was just like a special one-off thing for his album for okay. the album. Yeah, but this is this was supposed to be this became a an annual thing. So it's in his hometown of Houston, and uh, during his set, um, some people were uh, people were passing out. Mm-hmm. Um, people were getting trampled. Because it was, I think, like fifty thousand people trying to rush the stage. Yeah, that's too many people. And, and yeah, uh, people were yeah people were passing out, and it resulted in eight deaths and over a hundred injuries. Um, sorry, I sound a little congested, y'all. I'm, I got my tea here, trying to sound uncongested, <laughs> <laughs> but um, resulted in eight deaths. Um, and then the lawsuits are coming out. Um, as you said. Uh, Travis Scott's being sued along with Drake and the festival organizers. So what uh, was Drake's part in this? Was he just, is he like a co-sponsor or just because he was there? Yeah, kind of like a co-sponsor, okay. co-producer of the festival, something gotcha. like that. Um, so, uh, it, it you know, there are some other, it, it, it brought up, uh, I remember seeing on VH1, where they had their, it wasn't a behind the music, but it was a behind the music like uh, <laughs> anthology series. Mm-hmm. Was it the one for Woodstock? You thinking of? Uh, no, it was the one with the. Uh, I don't know if it was the same one, but they talked about uh, like definitely like shocking moments in mm, music. Okay, uh, yeah. one of them was the. Uh, it's called the Altamont Free. Yeah, concert. Bamani, funny enough, Bamani Jones brought that up and. Um, I remember, I remember reading about that because what it was like yeah. uh, the Hell's Angels. Yeah, they did, did the security, security. The Stones were on the stage, and like some kid died in the. Yeah, three people died. Three people died. Yeah, it was pretty wild, and that nearly ruined the Rolling yeah. Stones. Yeah. Um, and then another one that uh, I remember seeing on VH1 was uh, it was a concert in Cincinnati for the Who. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard about that. Um, so, the Who. Let's say, for example, because I because th- this is how it went down. For example, let's say the show's at eight o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. People are lining up outside, ready to go in. At like six thirty, the Who come out to do a sound check. Uh, I don't know if that's too close to the beginning of the show or not, <laughs> but about an hour and a half, maybe two hours before the show, they come out to do a sound check. It does seem a little late to be doing a sound check for an eight o'clock show like that's i would imagine that's when your opening acts are going on i think it was just them oh okay okay i think yeah i think it was just them um so the people that it's crowded outside they could hear the who playing probably inside fomo (laughs) and like oh the show started let us in let us in (laughs) and it's uh Festival seating, general admission, mm-hmm. general admission. There's one door. <laughs> Whoa, where where was this concert? It was uh, in Cincinnati. Whatever their, um, it's one of their arenas. Um, mm. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the exact place, but I know it was Cincinnati. Okay, um, that's ridiculous. That's so it's very like poor was, planning. There was one door. And people were trying to get in. But the show hasn't started yet. The, the doors, the you know, the house doors have not opened yet. Yeah. 
the but people the, are trying to get in. The doors of the church were not open. <laughs> the doors of the church were not yet open. Okay. All right. I found the, because uh, there's a wiki for it, of course. So it was at um, Riverfront Coliseum, now the Heritage Bank Center in Cincinnati. Uh, this resulted in 11 deaths. Um. Okay. So the... Uh, People were told through a radio station that drill admission ticket holders will be admitted at 3 p.m. and therefore a sizable crowd formed by 5 p.m. Although the doors were expected to be open simultaneously, only a pair of doors at the far right of the main entrance were finally opened. As concert goers enter the stadium through these two open doors, those waiting in front of all the other doors began pushing forward. Mm. After a short period of waiting and then knocking on the doors and glass next to the doors, the crowd assumed that none of the remaining doors would be opened. At about 7.15 p.m., the situation began to escalate. Conflicting reports suggest that concertgoers could hear either a very late sound check <laughs> in lieu of an opening act. Either way, the crowd assumed that the Who were on earlier than scheduled. At that point, the entire crowd surged and pushed forward toward the two doors. This caused many people to get trampled while some suffered more serious injuries. 11 people uh, <clears throat> died basically by asphyxiation, That's and there were 26 other injuries. The concert went on as planned, and the band members did not know of the tragedy until after their performance. Mm. Um, yeah, and then they had a show the next night in Buffalo. Roger Dalton told the crowd, we lost a lot of family last night. This show's for them. So... Um, the first thing I thought about, that, honestly, was the Great White thing in oh, New the, Jersey, uh, where the the place caught on fire. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought about. But then listening to people talk about it, I didn't realize there had been a lot of concert tragedies. Yeah, I didn't realize that. You know, I knew about the Altamont Free, but I didn't know about this one that you just talked about with the Who. There were a few more. I heard Bamani Jones talk about it, and Finn McKenty talk about it, and and Finn McKenty, of course talked about more so like the responsibility of the artist yeah when they're up on stage how the buck stops with them and showed different you know examples of people stopping the show but like 11 people yikes and then they had to play a show the next night yeah mm. um it shows later that month the mayor of providence canceled their <laughs> scheduled performance um and that and that like i said the in cincinnati there was general admission mm-hmm in Providence, there was assigned seating. So oh, probably been okay then. <laughs> um, yeah, they didn't play Providence again for thirty-three years after that. You know <laughs> what this makes me think about though? Um, the the blue blue no not the blue the brown M and M clause yeah. and the and the Van Halen writer and the reason behind that where people just thought that it was just a reason for them to trash. A, a hotel or something, and I heard actually the story was that they didn't really actually trash a hotel. They just or trashed the, you know, the the backstage just threw some things down or something. But essentially, that brown M and M clause was put in there um, to ensure that whoever was the owner of the venue um, and all the stage crew read the writer and built the stage and everything to their specifications because they didn't want anyone to get hurt. Um, and then also, apparently, I didn't. This was another part I didn't know. They didn't want to have to pay people. Like, because stagehands are typically union. So if you aren't efficient with your time and you have to go overtime, 
you got to pay a ton of money for these people to stay out here and keep working. So that was a part of it as well. But keeping people alive. And I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of even at festivals or anything. I don't know how many Van Halen has played. If they've had a lot of issues before, it sounds like they haven't. Maybe they had one and they're like, never again. Brown M&M Claws. Um, maybe Travis Scott needed a Brown M&M. I don't know. Because, I mean, a- according to reports, they were woefully understaffed. Um, didn't have enough of the, um, you know, the things that you put over someone's face if they can't breathe. Like, and, 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 I, and, and right or wrong, right or wrong, a lot of people who were working that concert, like I've seen at least two or three medical um, professionals who are working that concert or who were at that concert identify a lot of issues, and that's not good. Where's the thing where Travis Scott is? <clears throat> I can understand people saying that he um, should carry some responsibility for this. He is known for uh, this <laughs> raucous, yeah, raging uh, concerts, yeah. You know, he even tweeted out before his before his show that we're letting the wild people in tonight or the wild and unruly people or something like that. Yeah. He is known for um, for basically chaos, creating chaos at his shows. Yeah. That tiger um, went tiger. <laughs> it's cat you know, said. building that anticipation <laughs> and, um, you know, whipping his crowd into a frenzy, just a crazy energy. Um And this was one of those times that I, maybe because of understaffing, um, because of people overworked and overtired and mm-hmm. all that, <laughs> you know, they, they uh, you know, this this thing went down. And basically, like I said, it was like 50,000 people trying to rush the stage. And now, as of two hours ago, a ninth person has died. There's a ninth victim. Um, Damn. A and this is getting bad. I think a lot of people looked at, okay, yeah, there are the nine victims, right? But I feel like the people drew the line, like, after that. Mm-hmm. Then someone said, and then a nine-year-old boy fell into a coma. That's where they drew the line. <laughs> I didn't know a nine-year-old yeah, kid like, fell into a coma. Why is a nine-year-old? That was, that's kind of my first at thought. This as messed up as that is, why is a nine-year-old at a Travis Scott concert? You know, and, and I don't like want to. Like at nine years old, I'm at Kirk Franklin concerts with my parents. Like <laughs> the Columbus Civic Center. <laughs> I saw a, Kirk Franklin concert. I think yeah. everyone is a kid. Every black kid probably saw was, Kirk Franklin. I think Franklin. I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> Stomp it just came out. <laughs> oh, snap. No, we were still on silver and gold. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there are. I can I can understand like they're they're him having some responsibility for this, and there are there are some clips where you know he tried to stop the show because he saw someone was mm-hmm. uh, that needed some medical attention. Uh, that happened a few times during the show, I believe. Yeah. Um, but there were some other issues, and I think I heard Bomani talk about it too. That there were some miscommunication. Like with their whatever communication devices they had, yeah, they couldn't they couldn't hear each other over mm-hmm. the loud music. Okay, Travis Scott's on the stage by yeah. the speakers; he, he can't, can't hear, hear it either. He can't hear anything. Yeah, either. The, the bigger issue know, is for specific. whoever the secu- head of security was. So there's a good episode on Vox uh, today explain where they got a veteran of like concert organizing or something like that. I, I forget what his title was, 
But he was like, you know, the performer is there to perform. He was like, you're not there to like if you if, while they're in there in the midst of trying to give a good performance, you know, they're not going to be worried about what's what else is going on. That's why you hire people to take care of that. My I guess my issue and what I wonder is, who did he hire? You know, like wh- who did you hire? Why did you only have why did you have less than a dozen medical staff for a crowd of 50,000 people? You know, you were whoever you hired, you know, and I don't know if it's kind of one of those like, you know, he had to sign off on it. But like they were woefully understaffed and woefully underprepared. And where I think his culpability comes in, you can't ask your you can't ask your concert goers to do that when you know you can't handle it if things go wrong. Yeah. Like it's one thing to like, you know, I I don't know that that's that's just what gets me. Like when I hear about like how underprepared they were, you know, it's it's, it, it almost reminded me of like when Mike Tyson was fighting Buster Douglas and, you know, he had never gone past like the fifth round or something and they didn't have proper equipment to get the swelling down. It's like you're a professional heavyweight fighter. Okay. Why aren't you prepared? <laughs> it's more specific than that because I, I've tried to get more into following boxing history. Uh huh. Um, he didn't have the same trainer anymore. Yeah, that was one thing too. Yeah, I think I don't know if Don King made him fire him or not. Probably, but it was some guys who clearly did. They're like, all he got to do is punch the guy. It'll <laughs> knock him out. Like they didn't know anything. <laughs> Swelling's going down. They had a. Ice gloves? Yeah. Yeah, well, they take gloves with ice. Like, bro, what are you doing? That's that's not anything. Yeah. And then, you know, I think people would, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think what people don't appreciate about Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. he is considered very, very small for a heavyweight. Oh, for real? How much did he weigh? Because he was short, but. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, okay, okay. 5'10". Somewhere between two twelve and two twenty, mm. at five ten, <laughs> he's fighting. Evander Holyfield is six two. <laughs> Lennox Lewis six six. Yes, Lennox Lewis was huge <laughs> next to him. <laughs> George Foreman six five. Muhammad mm-hmm. Ali six four. Larry Holmes six four. If and then like, you know. Tyson would try to he would beat people by using his speed and then getting close because if you can't hit him with the jab yeah. and he gets close to you oh, he, he <laughs> that's can take the wind out you. so it had to so it could be like big guys the way he changed boxing is big guys can't just lumber around and just try to hit you as hard as they can they have to actually box mm-hmm. and the big guys who could actually box were the ones that beat him. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, and look at all the wiki. There are a lot of uh, human stampedes and crushes. Like they include the one at Cincinnati, uh, the one at Astro World. Um, there was one at uh, <clears throat> um, a lot of these have happened in Asia, like in South Asia. Mm. Uh, in Brazil. So, I mean, some sometimes these things happen where there's just overcrowding, but then when there's a certain energy and people are trying to get close to the state, like, look, if you had a concert with 50,000 people, unless you showed up a day early, 
you're not getting to the, <laughs> to the stage. You're just not getting to the stage, no. okay? Yeah. I went to see Childish Gambito at the old masquerade, and I got there three hours early. I was still probably like 100 feet from the stage. There's people with, com- like, just, they're committed. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like I was in a mosh pit for a few hours. Like, my body felt beat up. Yeah, people get wild. But, I mean, I know people will, you know, clearly there are worse situations. But mm-hmm. um, with these kind of concerts, not to say, like, these people are unprepared or anything like that. It just This is something that can happen. Yeah. Um, I remember there's a, another terrible one in the in the 80s, I believe, uh, Hillsboro. It was at a soccer game, mm. um, and it was a it was a big game, a playoff game, I think. And people were trying to get through uh, to be behind this fence, which would have at one end of the field. But it was a situation where there was only like two gates that open, and thousands of people are trying to get through. Mm-mm. And um, and people got crushed, oh, and it was—I I don't know how many deaths there were, but it was one of the biggest um, tragedies in any. I'm, I'm pulling it up now: ninety-seven deaths Jeez. and seven hundred and sixty-six injuries. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the pictures now. That this looks absolutely horrible. And that was one of the. <clears throat> I think uh, ESPN did a 30 for 30 or at least a a, a short about it. Uh, That's, you know, at a sporting event, one of the biggest tragedies um, as far as a crowd has gone. So, um, you know, it, I know this was just, it was a concert, but this is kind of the kind of situation that makes me fear for going to music festivals. Oh yeah. No, I've, the, the couple that I've been to, that are, that were festival style, not even festivals. Yeah, I did not feel comfortable. I stayed back. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. I I whenever I see, it, I just I stay back. It was a fuel concert. Not, they were mine. If I'm not right up front, where I can lead against the railing, <laughs> I, I I mean I feel like I'll be okay in that regard. But I mean I'm not going to concerts in, in a festival setting like this. I mean if I go to a, I feel like I'm okay if I go to a concert at. Tabernacle, yeah, where there's seating, or center stage, and, yeah, where there's or variety playhouse where there is seating, yeah. Um, so it's more. This could have been avoided by, like you said, if there were uh, adequate staff, mm-hmm. um, as far as an adequate number of staff, and um, I don't know, maybe people just underestimated the magnitude of of, of his concerts and how they could turn out. Props. I'm sure there are yeah. other people who um, who have had injuries. I some uh, there was a story someone told about. They went to a Travis Scott concert a few months ago, and well, he, uh, the guy who was left paralyzed. Is that what happened? Yeah, I read that he was paralyzed. In a I, I didn't Scott. see the whole story. I just thought someone like yeah. who survived it because they they nearly suffocated or something like that. I didn't know it went that far, but well, now that I mean that lets me further know <laughs> that. Um, I think the reputation or the 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 possibility of what could happen at one of his shows has been incredibly underestimated. Yeah, this is a man paralyzed at 2017 Travis Scott concert, extremely upset over Astro World tragedy. Yeah, yeah. 
He was pushed off. Jeez, he was pushed off over a balcony. <laughs> Where are y'all trying to go? Y'all on the balcony. Y'all try to get closer to this. Like, come on, man. Mm. Like that's it's yeah, that's just incredibly disappointing. Um. But, oh, he was he was encouraging people to jump from. Oh, geez. see, this guy, that's the kind of stuff he does. Yeah, it says it's a video of him. Um, Travis Scott film telling fan to jump from balcony onto crowd below at 2017 gig that left Contragor paralyzed. Woo. All right. Well, hey, you know, that tiger went tiger. <laughs> that's all I say. I, I never I never knew that was his thing. I didn't know that until all of this happened. So and my, my thing is, like, if we knew that something like this could happen or things like this have happened, at what point, um, you know, they banned R. Kelly from playing in Columbus because he simulated sex on stage. Like, that's that's so much less dangerous than, <laughs> than this. Like, at what point do you say, hey, bro, until you calm this down, get better security, you can't have shows like you're you're hurting your fans like. I kind of feel like knowing what we know, knowing what we know now about him, how is this not bound to happen eventually? You know, yeah. Like if we know that he does this, and we know that people have been injured before, like it's just escalate. Like it's just eventually something like this was going to happen. Just hate that it did. You know, and and who knows? Maybe there will be a lot of changes as a result. That's typically, unfortunately, how we as a society kind of make change when something really, really, really bad happens. You know, when. You know, a few people eat some bad ad, take some bad Advil. Then we're like, maybe we should put a seal on it so that you know that it's. <laughs> you know, that's how you find out. That's how you, you do those put things. This special kind of cap so children can't open can't it. open it. Yeah. Out of tragedy comes change. So who knows? Yeah. Um, so I'd say condolences. Yeah. And prayers to all the families, uh, to everyone who. Um, was also injured like this is do you think I, like, he ever performs he's again, a, do you ever think he do you think he's done a lot of people say he is he is done he'll never you know i i wonder i'm not convinced he's done i i'm not really either yeah i mean it should be where he just shouldn't <laughs> he shouldn't perform yeah i don't know if anyone's going to keep him from performing yeah uh, there's no concert performer coalition to stop him. <laughs> but I feel like he should not perform for a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, so, um, well, Ben, you, you was it a Reddit post that you were talking about earlier? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a Reddit post, but it was from... Rolling Stone. Um, okay. For, for well, it was in reaction to a Rolling Stone article, um, and it was the um, you know where Rolling Stone does their top one hundred artists. Um, Lil Richard was featured in it, and he wrote his own blurb, which I feel like is very meta. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he was lamenting about how all of these people that he, I guess you could say, tutored mentored brought along whatever you want to call gave their big break too because i think like the rolling stones toured with him and they that's how they got big and the beatles opened for him 
and in England and Jimi Hendrix played in his band um, as a session player. So you got all these people who kind of came up, James, oh, and James Brown and the Famous Flames, <laughs> mm. as we talked about in the movie. Don't give up the mic. Don't give up the stage. Um, but he talked about how they'll always be before him, you know, in in terms of like all time rankings, even though he came, you know, he tutored them, he brought them along. And I thought that was a very interesting way to look at it, you know, and I, I know one of the things we always say on our podcast is all music is black music. All popular music in America has stem has, you know, stem from the music of, of black people, you know we've done the research we know we know it mm-hmm. um so i thought it was interesting because i mean you know he mentioned some white artists you know the stones and the beatles who are both british um british rock bands who were never I, at least i didn't think had ever been shy about talking about their roots chuck berry was the beatles heroes um a muddy water is it muddy waters rolling stones yeah. named after muddy waters song yeah they both came up covering music, music by black artists. They've there and they don't like hide it. Like, like Led Zeppelin, they don't hide it. <laughs> Led Zeppelin passed off so much stuff as their own. No, I hate to Led Zeppelin, but, but like, they passed off a lot of the Stones and the a Beatles lot of stuff as their own. The Stones and the Beatles were doing send ups. You know, they yeah. were they weren't hiding it. You had to sue Led Zeppelin for some of this stuff to come out. You know, and even today. You still got some fans who don't want to admit it that like when the levees broke was a blues standard. Like you just, yeah, I mean, like, cool what you did to it. But when the levees broke was a blues standard and, you know, um, but you didn't give any. But whatever, that's that's good enough. But then you got like people like, um, you know, who he mentioned, like James Brown, like um, Jimi Hendrix, you know, Jimi Hendrix being, you know, considered one of the most influential rock musicians of all time. James Brown being considered one of the most influential performers of all time. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Um, so I know there was a point that I brought up that you kind of wanted to elaborate on. And the top comment, I think, kind of hit it on the head. Um, all of these artists evolved. Yeah. You know, the Beatles in the, in the 50s don't sound like the Beatles in the 60s and the 70s. Rolling Stones, same thing. They evolved. They went from being just a blues band to being a legit rock band. Both bands, you know, um, infuse some psychedelic, psychedelic elements. You think about Jimi Hendrix, who literally went from being just another, you know, early days, another blues guitar player to being a blues rock player. The guitar player for which it is credited, you know, was his music was described as heavy metal for the first time. You know, you've got that. And then you've got He's James. And grunge. Yeah. And then you've got um, James Brown, who, you know, went from the, the kind of the soul standards he was doing with the yeah, famous the, flames the, the r&b to just straight up funk <laughs> funk and soul funk. yeah and just revive like an almost kind of you know basically picking up the flag that people like wilson pickett was carrying and like just took it further and Lil richard you know and i think they even mentioned like even jerry lewis <laughs> who started out playing country evolved into blues and rock and roll you know his contemporaries so like you know you kind of think like what did he do differently as he kind of went on? You know, like he was definitely influential, but as an artist, yeah. I agree that he did not evolve. And I had an example. So this is Good Golly Miss Molly by Lil Richard. <laughs> I 
I don't mean to laugh, but like you kind of use the boogie woogie piano and the yeah. guitar. Like it's, yeah. All right, so you hear that? How that sounds, right? And now, for anyone who's seen like the Key and Peele sketch where they it's like the aerobic competition finals or something like <laughs> oh, that's that. That's funny. So funny. Um, <clears throat> that's based on like a real event. Or that was a real thing in the in the mid '80s. And I remember seeing some videos because they had like the whole a whole competition uh, on YouTube, mm-hmm. <laughs> like from like 1987 or something. So I heard this song, and I can't remember what movie it was. I think it was called Other People's Buddy, something like that. But Little Richard had a song with a soundtrack. This is 1986, 1987. This is how the song goes. Nineteen eighty seven, <laughs> little Richard. The snare's a little louder. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah. Uh, besides the snare. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like you said, he just did not evolve. He's, you know, playing, you know, the boogie blues forever, you know? It's like uh I don't know if everybody's ever seen this. Uh, you ever see you ever see the um, Major League Back to the Minors, the one with Scott Bakula? No, I've never seen that one. So if people are familiar with Major League and Major League Two, in Major League Back to the Minors, uh, there are only like two or three characters from the Major League movies that you were connected to this third one. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it was a guy who goes to coach a, a minor league team. And a base, it's going to be a you know a quirky cast of characters because it's a baseball movie. But he had a pitcher named Hog Hog Ellis. Hog had one pitch, <laughs> a fastball. That's it. That's all he had. He was throwing like ninety eight. <laughs> but when that guy comes up to bat the third or fourth time, he's got the timing down on that fastball. So throughout the movie. Hog had to learn how to throw a curveball <laughs> or throw something off speed uh, to disrupt the to disrupt the timing and it, it just to change up the if you change speeds you know it keeps the hitters off balance that's what you have to I feel like in music you have to do yeah he didn't have a second pitch he had he had one speed yeah um you know and I see that with uh <laughs> I see that with uh, with actors. Um, I see it in see it in basketball. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook. He has one speed. Go. <laughs> yeah, full speed. That's, that's <laughs> full it. speed. That's how he plays. Fast and faster. <laughs> and we were like, he's got to learn how to do this. This is his fourteenth year in the league. Yeah, he's nothing not, to learn. Yeah, if he can't do it now, he's not going to do it. Like it's, yeah. So the the thing that. We're saying here, I think it was a kind of the idea with that, with that, uh, with that post and those comments. Um, if there's some eras and and variants with your, um, with your music, like you say, with the Beatles, they had their teeny bopper, 
era. Yeah. And then it was the psychedelic I took era. LSD and <laughs> took some LSD one time. Went to India. <laughs> Little Richard didn't go to India. Nope, didn't go to India. He wore Pancake Thirty One till the end. Maybe he should have gone to like <laughs> Japan or India or the South Pacific, you know, and just came back with a new sound, you know. <laughs> So, um, and I and I feel bad for him because, or just like, be like Barry Gordy and rip off other people's sounds. Yeah, yeah. I I feel bad um, because maybe he like to to say that maybe he doesn't see it. You know, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe and maybe no one's told him like, hey, bro, like you know, why don't you change it up a bit? You know, because I I tried one day, maybe like a month or two ago, to listen, just listen to some Little Richard. And like five songs in, I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. It's all blurring together. It's all the same. And then like he he did one that was slowed down, but it was still that boogie pattern. And I was like, okay, whatever. It's like here's the blues a little slower. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think there's like with a lot of blues music, it can sound the same. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the lyrical content is the same. Yeah. But if you're even if you change something sonically, like we haven't done an episode on this, uh, maybe sometime down the line, but for example, like with Cadillac Records, mm-hmm. they have the moment where Little mm-hmm. Walter uh, amplifies the harmonica mm-hmm. that had not been done before. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything, really, yeah. for mm-hmm. those artists, for. Um, for Muddy, when he was a side man for Muddy Waters or with Chuck Berry or whoever he was working with. Mm-hmm. Amplifying the harmonica and it being kind of like your lead guitar mm-hmm. type of instrument. Yeah. That changed how people wrote blues music, at least for that period of time. Yeah. Um, and it made him very influential about, you know, even how people, uh, how with different. Um, sounds with with guitars or with brass or anything like that. Um, so even doing something little small things like yeah. that, and I mean, I I I I kind of I tend to agree with that. I lean towards agreeing with that take on Little Richard. Yeah, influential, very influential. As far as you as an artist yourself. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um let's get to the uh charts here. Give me a second to to pull it up. Uh while that loads, uh someone put a I see a post here of some new music dropping tonight. Um as of um Is it out yet? Is it out? Is it what I'm thinking of? Well, it's not midnight yet, so oh. Silk Sonic is not out yet. Oh, that, that's not even what I was thinking of, but that's awesome, too, to hear that's coming out. <laughs> so Silk Sonic will be out. To, we're recording this on a Thursday. It will be out Friday. I'm thinking of uh, someone's um, someone's version. Oh, Taylor's version? Comes out tomorrow. Apparently, uh, she's got like an 18-minute video or something of one of her. Probably going for that um, long-form Grammy. <laughs> which one is it? Um, all The song All Too Well. I probably won't watch no, it. No, I mean, which album? Um, this is, I think this is red. N- yeah, hold on, hold on. 
I think yeah, I think this is red Taylor's version. Um, or maybe not. Let me see. Cause it's the the thing I really want to hear from it is her version of yeah, it's red. It's coming out uh, tomorrow. So some singles are coming out. Apparently, Beyonce has a new song. Okay. Uh, Juice World. Her and Juice World. No, not her and Juice World. But Juice World has another new song. How many new songs he got? Come on, y'all. Okay. Uh, the Weeknd has a new song. Oh, nice. Uh, Rick Ross featured 21 Savage and Jasmine Sullivan. I know. Well, Rick Ross has a I new like album coming ones. out. His album cover is giving me um, uh, Church Usher, basically. Um, if you just look up his new album cover. Um, Polo G, Isaiah Rashad. Um, Ace Hood, Coyle Ray, uh, John Legend, um, yeah, and like as pre- previously mentioned, Silk Sonic, the album should be dropping tomorrow, and the baby has a new album dropping. Oh, I see what you mean with the white gloves. <laughs> Doors of the church are open. Amen. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right let's look at the charts here the hot 100 for this week number one well it was number one last week as predicted <clears throat> yeah uh easy on by adele uh you know you should hear the reggae version some dude on tiktok did no i do not <laughs> need to hear that <laughs> The guy's a good musician. It fits very well, but I mean, it's not easy to make. It's not hard to make one of her songs fit it because she doesn't do, this is not an assault on her either, Adelians, don't come after me, or whatever they're called. She doesn't do complicated chord changes. So like, it's very, you know, easy to take her songs and remix them because she's not, there's not a lot of syncopation. And so, yeah, it's very easy to do. Number two, Stay by... Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. Number three, Industry Baby. Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow. Number four, Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. Number five, Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. Number six, Shivers by Ed Sheeran. This is from his new album called... What's it called? I have no clue. I was going to say I'm The Weeknd, but um, I don't know. It's called I'm the Weekend. Because <laughs> they suggested me, they suggested him to me on um his page. It's the equal sign, right? It's yeah, the, it's the equal sign. I don't know if if it's called equal. Number seven, way too sexy. Drake featuring Future and Young Thug. Number eight, Need to Know by Doja Cat. Number nine, Good for You by Olivia Rodrigo. And number ten, uh, wow, this might be their highest charting song ever. Heat Waves by Glass Animals. <laughs> a song that has been on the charts for 42 weeks. This has to be their highest charting song like ever. They're having their Portugal the Man um, moment right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's look at the albums. Well, it's already out. Debuting at number one, Equals by Ed Sheeran. Number two, Certified Lover Boy by Drake. Number three. Number three. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous, the double album. He's probably been out promoting. Morgan Wallen. Who knows what he's been doing. So he got a boost from being banned from the American Music Awards. 
Oh, I forgot about that. He's banned from the Trash Grammys. <laughs> number four, Planet Her by Doja Cat. Debuting at number five, Something for the Hotties from the Archives, Megan the Stallion. Uh, is that like her mixtape stuff? I don't know. Something for That's the what hotties. it sounds like. <laughs> number six, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Number seven, Sincerely Contrail by Youngboy NBA. Number eight, Montero by Lil Nas X. Number nine, Fuck Love by The Kid Leroy. And number 10, Against This Pain by Moneybag Yo. All right, let's look at the Artist 100. Number one, two songs in the top 10 and the number one album. The most influential <laughs> artist <laughs> in black music. Of course, we're talking about Ed Sheeran. I swear he is what Christopher Cross was supposed to be. Only <laughs> only thing is when people saw him, they didn't care. It's yeah. like they didn't like he does not have the look. But for some reason, like Taylor Swift co-signed on him. He put out like, you know Pharrell discovered him. He yeah, said like he was discovered by Pharrell. Put on, you know, gave us the A team. Everyone's like, oh, that's beautiful. Then they came out with Sing and it was over. Like it was like it was just like crisscross was looking at him like, come on. <laughs> it was like it's, it's, this is what Christopher Cross was supposed to be. And it just didn't work. It just didn't work in an age now where it's like you don't need a music video, but you need a social media presence. It's so weird. Like it's I don't know. It's weird. Uh, number two is Drake. Number three, Adele. Number four, excuse me. Number four, Doja Cat. Number five, Olivia Rodrigo. Number six, The Weeknd. Number seven, Luke Combs. Number eight, Dua Lipa. Number nine, Justin Bieber. And number 10, Lil Nas X. I'm going to go ahead and predict that next week that top 10 is going to look a little different. <laughs> How so? Taylor Swift at number 12. She's going to creep into there when she drops Taylor's version. That's true. Yeah, she's, probably, she's probably going to go right up to number one. You'll probably see Beyonce pop in a little bit, too. Um, oh, Beyonce might be number one. Yeah, it'll be a battle. That's because it's a new Beyonce. Yeah, it'll it'll be a battle. It, one of them will be one, one of them will be two. Who it is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I bet you, like, in the deepest corners of Instagram and other social media, each fan army is plotting a way to get to just leave it on at night. <laughs> Put it on repeat. Said all of your posts to mention hashtag Taylor Swift, hashtag Taylor's version. I just want to hear her version of um of Better Man. That's all I want to hear. Is it gonna be on there? Yeah, it's gonna be on there. It's like twenty okay. something tracks. It's it's insane. I, I agree with her fans. This is starting to feel more and more like a money grab and not just a let's stick it to um to Scooter Braun. This is starting to feel like a money grab. Like she's she went and re-recorded it, and I got like fifteen bonus tracks, yay! And an eighteen-minute video, yay! Like this is a money grab. You're just trying to make more money off this album. Well, we'll we'll see. And I'm a goes. flamer if this, if it's not a good version, because <laughs> Little Big Town's version is really, really, really good. Because that one was a better singer. <laughs> not her fault, but yeah, it's like how are you going to top it? Like what did you do differently? Because if it's literally you just singing over their version, <laughs> that's karaoke. <laughs> you don't release karaoke. 
<laughs> Sorry. That's I just that's what I'm afraid of though. This is gonna be here like this sounds just like the little big town version. It sounds just oh, it is. It is. <laughs> this is gonna say, Well, it was my I made the reference track, okay? <laughs> so I just uh, whatever. Bring something new. <laughs> Bring <right>. Taylor's version. <laughs> so I'll do it for our music news. Ben, <laughs> tell us about your earworm of the week. Um, once again, shout out to Finn McKinty, um, who has a second channel where he goes, he streams Twitch, and he will go back. It started out really with him doing like episodes of of Cribs, MTV Cribs, and like did these age well? <laughs> Usually it was no. <laughs> um, but he, he was playing some songs, and I'd never heard of this band called Inter Shikari. They're an emo band, and apparently this is like an emo standard, like a classic, called Sorry You're Not a Winner. And it has one of the coolest emo intros I've ever heard. It's so cool. All right. So we're going to play that. Enter Shikari. Sorry you're not a winner. And we'll be right back. That is Sorry You're Not a Winner by Enter Shikari. As the tempo changes. Uh, (laughs) It's a weird song. Yeah. From their album Take to the Skies from 2007. I always thought that was the most, like, it just fits Sorry You're Not a Winner. It just fits that time. (laughs) It just fits that time. So, um... We started the uh, this particular episode. We started with an interview with Eminem and Sway. Uh, Eminem um, talking about how he what he thinks of the Grammys, essentially. Um, yeah, he's been nominated for Album of the Year three times um, or four times. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how many, Maybe but it's been four, a lot. Four or five times, and uh, he did not win. Yeah. Um, 
uh, in the rap category. Um, I believe only two rap albums have won. Uh, <clears throat> Lauren Hill's The Miseducation of Lauren Hill and Outkast Speaker Box Love Below. Those are the only two. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few have been nominated. You know, Kendrick Lamar. Um, Jay Z's been nominated multiple times. Uh, Eminem, Kanye, but they have I think not. Chance the Rapper too. For album of the year, I think oh album of the year, no album no, of the year, no. yeah. I think no was Coloring Book. I'm not. Sh- I don't think so. Because I think he was only nominated for Best New Artist and then Best Rap Album. Yeah, Best Rap Album, okay. Or maybe maybe for Best uh, Rap Song for um, No Well, no, problem. he won for Best Rap Album because it was the first streaming-only album to win a Grammy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we'll be giving our Because Five Grammy snubs, you know, um, uh, Ben uh, came up with this topic. Uh, I think it was good timing because we're starting to see the IG post uh, for your consideration. <laughs> well, I mean, this was inspired by someone that I follow on TikTok who is doing a series of videos on what she feels are the biggest Grammy injustices mm. because the, the nominations are coming out soon. They always come out in November. And that I was like, huh. I've always wanted to talk about that. <laughs> uh, and um, if you listen to our early episodes, we had quite a few Grammy-related topics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one where we just aired our grievances with the Grammys <laughs> in general, um, and some. So some of these may be we've talked about before with some of the uh, the snubs that will that will that will list. We have talked about these a uh, few of these before. So, um, but still, it's a fun topic. And so I'm all for it, of course. Um, so because five, why? Because five. Yeah. Uh, and we have two honorable mentions as an excuse to play more music. <laughs> so um, let's get into it. Ben, what is your first honorable mention? All right. So first honorable mention is, and don't come for me, Brandon. I think Brandon mentioned this once. Podcast cousin. Uh-oh. Friend of the podcast. Um, Esperanza Spalding winning over... Um, Winning Best New Artist over Drake and Justin Bieber. Um, and I guess I feel like I have to say who I, I felt should have won. I felt that should have gone to Drake. I felt that since it was given. No, it's not because I didn't know who Esperanza Spalding was. I did not. But that's not why. Um, I just, I don't know. Especially over Florence the Machine, who was also in there. That's a that's also a good band. Um, Mumford & Sons, go home. <laughs> don't like them but um they went on to win an album of the year Ben. yeah and i don't don't get it so this yeah. is little fly by esperanza spaulding yeah you're so, gonna sense a theme here with this because as some of my picks are related to this too the recording academy loves not like full-on jazz mm-hmm. but Almost <laughs> like walking up to the edge. Walking up, walking up to the edge. Like the 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 ocean is jazz. It's the you're on the shore. Oh, you're that that um, what you call it? That uh, bird that like, whenever the it comes up, it like comes back. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of respect for that type of music. Um, a lot of them, you know, with some, uh, they, they love like Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. And some of those people in the Recording Academy that have votes are still alive. So yeah. if there's any music that sounds like that, or like Henry Mancini, <laughs> they yeah. may lean towards voting for something like that. Yeah. One, one of the reasons, and I mean, like, because I do admit there is a there is an element of art that needs to be placed upon the artist, um, an expectation, um, and 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 I'm gonna bring that up a lot in these in these um, categorizations or these these um, entries. But I also do feel with your best new artist, there's also an an element of commercial success you need to have, um, because I mean, like we're not like in other categories, we're judging you on production, songwriting, performance. The best new artist category is where I feel like all of those things need to come together for an artist that's just making an impression. And I think out of all of those people, like, I don't know, maybe I, I would maybe even say Florence the Machine had more art, art, but that's another conversation. But Drake, who was new to the scene, I thought Drake was going to be the next big thing. He did end up being the next big thing. Um, unfortunately, he's kind of lost his way in terms of art, but... Back then, we didn't know that. <laughs> we, we didn't know, like, oh, he doesn't have an identity. Yeah, we didn't know that back then. We just knew that he made Take Care, and he made some really good mixtapes. Um, and he made, um, like, I thought he was going to be the person that picked up the torch. Well, and being nominated here was off of uh, Thank Me Later. Thank Me Later, not yeah, not Take Care, Thank Me Later. So I'm thinking he's going to pick up the torch and be the next great rapper. And, and in, a, in, a, in a way, he was. Like, he was everywhere. He was making really good music really in tune with his producers. But like we said, he lost his identity and the music he makes now is a shell of what he made back then. Um, so unless the Grammys could see into the future, why give it to Esperanza Spalding? And that, like I said, for me, yeah. I think because they like almost jazz. <laughs> yeah. um, and as you said, with the, uh, with the other nominees in the category, Justin Bieber, Drake, Florence and the Machine, Mumford and Sons. You said you would have gone with Drake? I would have gone with Drake. The other slight edge I probably would have given it out to is Florence and the Machine just because I think they're so good and so underappreciated. And I think there's so much more than just the dog days the dog days are over. It's a great song. But like I think it was you that introduced me to like Heartlines. Cause that was back when I thought like, oh yeah, they're just dog days. And you go back and you listen, and Florence Welch is a is a really good, unique singer. Not a lot of singers like her out there. It works for what they do, and then it even worked for the track that she did with Calvin Harris. Like yeah. it, like her voice is unique, but it works. It, it. I don't know how, but it just does. Um. So that's your first honorable mention. Mm-hmm. My first honorable mention is something we talked about a, a few months ago. Um, because it was just weird. I could not, I, I, it was something I couldn't really wrap my head around. Um, and not a lot of people have talked about it. And that is, um, the weekend's album after hours, not being nominated for a single Grammy. Yeah. That felt personal. (laughs) Like that felt like there was something they had against him. I don't know. So this is uh, In Your Eyes by The Weeknd from After Hours. Um, 
like I said, this was one of the biggest selling albums of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's while it is like more of what he was already doing, like let's go full on 80s, <laughs> uh, let's go full on Giorgio Moroder, yeah. Daft Punk. <laughs> Tight production. I don't know how they felt. <laughs> like you could have brought us along again. Yeah, because <laughs> they were on Starboy. But yeah, I, you know, so it was more of that. Um, you know, so it was just more the weekend, just more of what he was already doing. Yeah, and, and people were excited about that uh, because it had been two years since his EP and four years since Starboy when yeah. the album comes out. Uh, but I really haven't understood the snub. I don't get it either. Even in the pop categories, at least, you know? Like, if you're like, oh, it's too poppy. Well, you've got categories for that. <laughs> and 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 I think part of it is they don't know what to do with him. They don't know how to categorize him because they feel like they have to do it. Um, Beauty Behind the Madness, it was nominated for Album of the Year. Mm-hmm. And also, and but it won in the best urban contemporary yeah. album. So, it's pop. Yeah. So that brings you to the question, and I hate to 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 bring this here, but if Justin Timberlake makes this album, it's R and B. You think so? They call it R and B. If Justin Timberlake made it, it might be R and B. Yeah. Well, or, if, if it was if it was Justin Timberlake produced by Timberlake. Yes, <laughs> it's R&B. <laughs> what if it's Jesse McCartney? Because I'm thinking, like, you know, you have these other, these other white singers that kind of. If it's Justin you know, Timberlake, honestly, I think it's a huge album. Mm. Well, it's already big. You think it's yeah. even bigger? Yeah, like it would be critically acclaimed. Also, mm, more okay, critically okay. acclaimed, it would get the kind of recognition from the Recording Academy and, yeah. and others for it. Um, so, can't feel my face. Which is nominated for record of the year for Beauty and the Madness. And also nominated for pop solo performance. It is a pop song. Yeah, which is which tells me they understand how to categorize him. So I felt like there had to be something personal with this album. I, I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe I, they're just like we're sick of eighties music. I don't know. Like he threw in he throws in the, the saxophone solo. Can there <laughs> only be one eighty sounding album at a time? I don't know. Uh, because uh future nostalgia is also <laughs> future nostalgia was nominated yeah i'm not saying it's the same thing but it was the same yeah concepts i guess you might especially say. when you think about where he's come from too yeah like his early alternative r&b music to this <laughs> like he's he's taking quite the arc <laughs> yeah and like from where he started he's not supposed to be one of the biggest pop stars yeah in the world performing halftime at the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's just not supposed to have, like, he, that's why I thought, like, it didn't make sense for him to perform at the Super Bowl. It's like, his music doesn't so fit. So depressing. Does it say Super Bowl? Yeah, it does not. Does he have any songs you could act, you could just dance to? Other or than I Can't hand? Fill My Face? Other than that. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can kind of <laughs> dance to um, Starboy, but, like, after that, everything else is down-tempo. It's not meant to be danced to. It's meant to be reflected upon. <laughs> And maybe maybe the Grammys were sick of that. Yeah. Um. Maybe they had models for daughters that he had. Maybe. He had, he had and they didn't like it. Like, oh, uh, he was shit. taking lines off my keyboard. Go to your room. Like, <laughs> 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 that's the last time you hang out with Tafat. Just whatever his name is. 
Tesafe or something? Abel. Abel. That's his last that's name. His, okay. That's the last time you hang out with Abel. <laughs> but we're just writing music. You're doing coke. <laughs> oh, there. Your mad. nose is bleeding. Okay, <laughs> it has been bleeding throughout dinner, <laughs> and I thought you were going to clean yourself up. <laughs> it's crusted at that point. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's my first honorable mention. Your second honorable mention. All right, this one, I almost feel like it should be higher, but I've got more grievances. Um, Taste of Honey, the band who did, I believe, Boogie, Oogie, Oogie. Yes. Um, won Best New Artist over The Cars, Elvis Costello, and Toto. How? <laughs> now, well, I don't know who was... Chris Ray is. Who's Chris Rhea or Chris? Um, let me pull him up. But uh, A Taste of Honey... That song, Boogie Oogie Oogie, was basically at the end of disco. Yeah. Of disco's popularity in America. In America, yeah. Like we, we've said before, disco did not, disco died in America. It did not die anywhere else around the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Ray, he was, uh, I think he was one of those yacht rock artists. Maybe. Yeah, I've never heard of him. He looks like he's a yacht rocker. Still looks good. Looks good for his age. Looks like he's still playing, so. Good for him. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too familiar with. Him. It looks like he's a a blues or yeah. Uh, but like I said, with um, yeah. I mean, this isn't a bad song, although it does have a lot of similarity to like every other disco song. Oh yeah, it, it, he has a song called "Fool." If you think it's over, I, I don't think I know that song. Uh, I'll play it real quick. This is. Yeah, this is this is. Yacht I've rock never right. heard this song. This, this is, is yacht rock, though. This is adult contemporary, uh, all the way. But yeah. yeah. But back to uh, doing coke on your boat with Abel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, to beat out, so, I mean, not a bad song, but like to beat out the cars who go on, I think they're hall of famers. Yeah. Elvis Costello, who is hall of famer. One of the, Elvis Costello becomes one of the most influential under, like he's not underground, but like that type of music is underground. Well, he's, I think he brought, I don't know if you would say he created it, but he made it like a thing. Pop punk. Yeah. Pop punk, pop alt, alt rock, alt alternative, like. Like, he, he didn't sound like anything that was really happening on the radio at that time. Um, and then, of course, Toto, who was just a force, um, had, like, a great, like, what, three-album run there? Um, put out some of the most memorable songs out there. I mean, like, people are still singing Africa to this day. People are still singing and covering Hold the Line. People are still singing Rosanna. Like, these songs are timeless, timeless. So... That's just really, like, it's kind of hard to have put, you know, them over them. But, I mean, of course, you can't see the future, you know. But, you know, so I guess, you know, maybe in the time, everyone's like, man, Taste of Honey's going to be around for, like, decades. Maybe people thought that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think people thought it was cool. Okay, you got these two two ladies, two black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the midst of the disco era... While people will like look down on it, mm-hmm. um, 
I think like this is just one of those songs that was just a smash around the world mm-hmm. and couldn't deny it. Um, and it's these two ladies that are the that are fronting their own band, yeah. and it's just something that I think part of that is they had never really seen anything like that before. Um, it, well, especially with black women, they may yeah. have seen it with white women like Heart, yeah, or Fleetwood Mac. But and I mean, and to your point, lot, give a lot of credit because I've heard the stories Heart Heart has told about being two females in a rock band and what they dealt with back then. So kudos to Heart, and you know, now that you mention that, to um, to a Taste of Honey because they probably had to deal with a lot of crap too. I imagine. Yeah, um, and I think with them, I, I don't know what the, what the story is, but. Okay, I I don't know what the story is with them as far as their um, uh, like what happened to them like going forward because I know of one other song by them, um, Sukiyaki, I think that's how it's pronounced. When you hear it, you'll y'all y'all would know it because okay, yeah, yeah. I see it, yeah, Sukiyaki. <laughs> um, when you hear it, you'll know it because basically they wrote English lyrics or someone wrote English lyrics for them for it to a Japanese song. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that was your second honorable mention. My second honorable mention. Um, how do I put this? Uh, Queen never won a Grammy. That's hard to think of. They never yeah. won a Grammy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, so what you'll hear for, for that to represent Queen is No One Bites the Dust. Oh, man, I thought this was Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. No, no that, that was Under, under Pressure. pressure. Under one pressure. Of my... Oh, hold on. Let me just play that one instead. <laughs> Queen and David Bowie, two legends. But um, Queen never won a Grammy, and I will go through their Grammy-nominated history. Uh, Best pop vocal performance by duo or group, and best arrangement for voices. That is a category that does not exist. Which which song? I'm going to assume Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Um, So that's two. Um, Amazing vocal. They're nominated for Producer of the Year. Queen was? Yes, for producing their own album. Was it A Night of the uh, Opera? The Game. Oh, The Game, okay. okay. And for Best Performance by a Rock Duo or Group with Vocal for Another One Bites the Dust. Mm-hmm. So that's four. Yeah. He, he does some great vocals on that, too. Gets very aggressive in that second verse. In 2002, they were nominated for Best Long Form Music Video for Freddie Mercury. For the Freddie Mercury, the untold story. Okay. So he had already been dead for eleven years at that point, and they won a life a lifetime achievement award in 2018. Maybe they realized they're like, do you know who never won a Grammy? Queen, dude, we gotta fix this. <laughs> That's it, y'all. That is it. That is all. The, that is Queen's Grammy uh, history. Yeah. Um. Bohemian Rhapsody has been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. 
Um, but other and also we will rock you and we are the champions. Mm. So you got three songs in there. Writing the wrongs of the past. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> like we didn't get it right back then. We're gonna try to get it right now. But yeah. So like I'm surprised this wasn't nominated for anything. No, it was not. It's a great song. Aged very well. So yeah, uh Queen has never won a Grammy. So Ben, what's number five? So back when I had a music blog, <laughs> I wrote about this. Um so and I have to I feel like I kinda have to explain it because it sort of makes sense but sort of doesn't. So I love this song, by the way. So um Fuck You by CeeLo, co written by Bruno Mars. Apparently it was a very awkward writing session. Um was nominated for Song of the Year. I didn't think they would touch it. I did not think they'd even nominate that song when it came out. It blew me. It I I still remember the first time hearing this. Darren, shout out Darren, played it for me, and it like knocked me down. It was so catchy, and just so like, did they really just say? It's like, oh god, they really did. Oh god, because I mean like, everyone's heard it now, but like, you've got like this doo-wop type song coming out and like you know in 20 whatever like 2010 2011 and i'm just like what the hell like and it's just like it's got that crazy production with a voice that really fits it um and everything and the lyrics are just out of this world and so i was like you know they'll never touch it i'm like this is probably the best song i've heard all year but they'll never touch it um and then it gets nominated and i was like they'll never let it win and lo and behold they did not um i felt like that year they went with the safe route which was Need You Now by Lady Antebellum. Yes, I'm still calling him that. Um, which is a great song in its own right. And American Honey was a great album, too. But when you've got that song, and then I also discovered the song Beg Still Our Borrow that year from Lord Willing and the Creek Don't Rise by Ray LaMontagne and was floored by that song. And I was like, okay, there's another song that should have beat Need You Now. You know, Larry LaMontagne has that really nice kind of soulful voice. Um, you know, he plays as Raul LaMontagne and the, and the Pariahs. I think it's Pariah Dogs or something like that. And they're backing them really nicely. And then you got another great song in there. The House That Built Me by Miranda Lambert. Probably one of the better songs of her career. One of the more introspective songs. Um, and then you have Love The Way You Lie. <laughs> which was one of those great hooks that Skylar Gray wrote. She had that one and Coming Home. Um, Coming Home sounded awful, though, with what Diddy did for it. I felt bad for her there. But, like, you know, you've got some of these other songs that are really good. Of course, I think Fuck You should have won just because of how daring it was. My favorite of the lot was Beg Still Borrow just because that song just takes me away. Um, but, like, I don't see how you give it to Need You Now other than what we talked about was you you want to kind of not be controversial like how does that look in the in the annals of history if the grammys have a song and the winner is fuck you yeah and everyone's just like huh is that the name of the song (laughs) are you just telling us to leave like so yeah but yeah and like i'm not i'm not trying to you know insult need you now because it's not a bad song at all like this was a very strong lot of songs that year um but I just, yeah, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. Um, yeah, I, I think it was because of, like, we can't. 
that can't be the name of the, yeah. the record of the year or song of the year. Yeah, that can't be that song. I'd have at least given it to Baxter Labaro, but maybe they feel like enough people don't know who that is, you know? Because I had not heard of Ray LaMontagne. I know he gets the um, the the stereotype of being for, like, you know, white wine zombie moms who love they, – they made fun of – I don't know if you saw that episode of Family Guy where um, Quagmire is trying to learn how to get with older women who are, like, in their 40s or something. And um, he's at, like, Starbucks, and he doesn't know how to pronounce Ray He's So basically he's been getting Lois to help him. And he's looking at his CD. He has no clue how to say his name. So he just butchers it. He goes, yeah, it's like, uh, and I'll take this CD by Ray LaMontagna. She goes, it's Ray LaMontagne. Thanks. And he runs off. <laughs> like he gets that rap, but he's got some really good, he's got some really good music. Um, but yeah, I, just, I don't know how you give it to need you now. Like it's just with that, with those songs, I don't know how you do it. All right. So, um. That was your number five, right? So my number yep. five is um, the awarding of all these Grammys to Ray Charles' last album, Genius Loves Company. <laughs> <laughs> and this started the run where I think, okay, they're giving it to the old people or mm-hmm. the dead people. Yeah. And ignoring like all the popular, all the other bigger albums. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they had a run like Alison Krauss and Robert Plant won one. Like that was a couple years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Herbie Hancock's Joni Mitchell tribute album. Yeah. Um, there's another two against one. nature Two against nature. Yeah. Steely Dan. All, oh, and brother, all of where these are, art thou? The and, soundtrack? Yeah. And all these people are legends, but, like, this really wasn't the time to be, you know, to honor them. Like, you should have honored them before. Like, this isn't even Ray <laughs> Charles' best album. No, it's not. <laughs> He's probably got, like, 15 albums better than yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, when he won for Genius Loves Company, like I said, it was posthumous. Uh, it was over American Idiot by Green Day. The okay. College Dropout by Kanye. Confessions by Usher Whew. and the Diary of Alicia Keys, <laughs> and y'all go to and y'all pick Ray Charles, and like I said, like Ray Charles, Ray Charles is a he's he 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 covers a lot of genres. Mm-hmm. Okay, he is R and B, he is jazz, he is country, he is gospel, you, and you can say that, rock and roll. And blues well, that too. that yeah yeah Man, he, that all of that yeah and, the- <laughs> and because this album is that almost jazz ah okay okay I feel you is that you. almost jazz <laughs> that's why they uh I think that's why they were drawn to it and then he died mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like let's honor Ray Charles real quick the mm-hmm. and the movie's coming out so. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I, that's my only reasoning. That's the only reason I could think of why they honored him. And I, I, I don't have any problem with them honoring mm-hmm. Ray Charles, but not like this. Yeah. What would have been your choice that year? My choice with these albums, and they're all great. Yeah. College Dropout. Okay. That album, I believe, changed. 
Okay, that was his debut. That was, yeah. yeah, that was the first one. That was, oh, yeah, that was yeah. the first one. <laughs> that was a good that album. Changed, that changed the rap game forever. That's a good album. I don't know what people think about that. That changed yeah. the rap game forever. So that would have been my pick, but the Grammys don't like rap like that. So and they yeah. just and Outkast has had won the year before. Uh, I don't you know even they think trying to go back to back. I don't think they understand rap enough to know if they like it. Like you've got a bunch. Like I, I really think that's what it comes down to with some of these genres that they keep getting wrong. They don't understand if something comes along and somehow gets nominated. They're like, I is is that a good rap album? They don't know. <laughs> uh, they don't Ray, know. Ray Charles also won Record of the Year for "Here We Go Again" with Nora Jones over American Idiot, who they love. They love they Nora really Jones. Love Nora Jones. So that won Record of the Year over American Idiot, Heaven by Los Lonely Boys. I love them. They're good. Let's Get It Started by the Black Eyed Peas. And Yeah by Usher featuring Lil Jon mm-hmm. and Ludacris. I feel like American Idiot was one of those albums that the Academy wanted there for a cool factor. Yeah. But I don't think they ever intended to give it awards because it was too controversial. Even though the next year, Record of the Year, Boulevard of Broken well, because that's that's that was a safe. Makeup call. That's a safe song, though. You know, that's that's about things aren't going the way you hope they would go, and you know. But American Idiot is pretty. You know, don't want to be an American Idiot. I don't want to be a part of the redneck agenda. <laughs> they don't. Mm, that scares them. <laughs> so um, it won. Uh, Genius Loves Company won nine Grammys. Jeez. And uh, including the album of the year, but I felt like the reasoning behind all the awards, because it won nine, no one talks about this album. Yeah. Just like no one talks about Come Away With Me. No offense, Nora Jones. (laughs) It's not his best. (laughs) Yeah. It's not his most influential. So that was my issue with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben, number four. All right. So I think this is the one that's going to get some people against me, but hey, whatever. Um, we Are the World had no business winning song of the year. It just didn't. I have a theory about that. It didn't. So if you look at the songs that came out that year, Money for Nothing, which I like, but I kind of kind of like how you said with Ray Charles's Genius Loves Company, this is not their best song. Money for Nothing is not their best song. But hey, you know whatever had the really cool video and Sting was in it and whatever Sting you know touches turns to gold. Um, Boys of Summer, which I think is an excellent song. Um, Every time you go away, which I think is a phenomenal song, especially the Hall and Oates version. This is the one that That's was performed Paul by Paul Young. But like the Hall and Oates version is is I think it's far better. But what's funny just, is that with yeah. Paul Young, I didn't realize. That's his entire career. That is, song? No, it's just covers. Oh, really? Huh, I didn't know just that. Just covers. Covers huh. on covers. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal song. I've always liked it. I really started loving it when they used it in a really pivotal scene in Watchmen. Mm. Um, in one of the later episodes in the in the only season they did. Um, very powerful scene, almost like if you catch it at the right moment, it can make you cry. It's like a really, really good scene. And they bring it in just so perfectly. Um, 
and if you ever get a chance, they did, and this is going to sound weird to some people, they did an album live at the Apollo where they do this song, and it's really, really oh, well Hollow done. Dose. Yeah. The yeah. one they did perform with uh, Eddie Kendricks. Eddie Kendricks and yeah. David Ruffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a good album. And then, of course, um, I Want to Know What Love Is, which <laughs> cheesy 80s ballad, you know, it is what it, it is what it is. I'm not surprised it got nominated. I to me though, that's almost like the equivalent of like if you nominate it, um, here I go again or is this love or something. Like that. Okay. So here's my theory about the about the song. Okay. All right. <laughs> we are the world was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. Who else? Quincy Jones? Is he credited? No, it's just just Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Okay. Quincy Jones is is the producer mm-hmm. because he won record of the year for the song. Over Born in the USA, Oof. The Boys of Summer, Oof. Money for Nothing, and The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. Wow. I think I don't know. I think the voters thought it would look bad if this clearly charity song <laughs> It was written in what an hour, yeah, and recorded in a couple more hours, yeah. Like it was something that was I won't want to say thrown together, but the the reason behind it, if we go to get all these big stars mm-hmm. and we go make a song that's going to raise money, okay, cool. Is it that great of a song? We weren't thinking about no Grammy, <laughs> but you got one. And unearned, I'm not going to say unearned. They wrote the song. They put in the work. But, like, it just was not that great of a song. Yeah. Um, you know, showing up to play, to sing one line at a time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was some good, there was some uh, <laughs> some good, um, uh, some memes about, you know, they showed footage of recording the song. And when... Cindy Lauper comes up to sing her part. She has on all this jewelry, and you can hear it. And so they had to stop, and Michael Jackson's just looking at her, like, with disgust. <laughs> He's also looking at uh, Huey Lewis and Kim Carnes in that same, like, it, because they all sing a part. In mm-hmm. particular, like, he sings his part, Michael mm-hmm. sings his part, and then they, they sing their part. But he just looks at him and, like, y'all got these motherfuckers singing after me. <laughs> I could have did this by myself. Y'all. He really could have. <laughs> he was big enough. I kind of liken this though to like if you would have, you know, like that. Do they know it's Christmas? If would have been, you know, yeah. Like you wouldn't nominate that. Why would you? You know, like it's you. It's in the same. Well, it's in the it's in the same hey, ballpark. Hey, yeah, it's just a bunch of British artists. <laughs> but you look at that song as more cheesy, and then I don't. It depends on how you feel about Bob Geldof. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> depends on how you feel about him you know is he a good dude uh or is he just like is he trying too hard is he the sean penn of the musician world <laughs> that really should be a because five the sean pens of the music world <laughs> it's like this person is trying way too hard like just chill dude just chill <laughs> Like, you could probably say that about, like, Steve Vai in the late 80s. Trying too hard, man. Like, you're trying. Especially if you see him play Tender Surrender. Trying too hard, man. Um, But, yeah, I think my choice probably would have been Boys of Summer for that year. Um, Yeah. 
maybe every time you go away. But like I said, I prefer the Hollow Notes version. But yeah, the Boys of Summer, I think, was just a really good song. Um, I mean, I feel I almost feel bad for saying that he's he's kind of better than the Eagles. He was their I guess he was their Timberlake. Like he just you know, you guys want to go tour? I mean, I'll see if I'm free. Like that type of thing. <laughs> um. So my number, where are we at? Four. Mm-hmm. Okay. My number four. This was, if you listened to the beginning of this episode, it was mentioned. Um, Evanescence winning Best New Artist (laughs) over 50 Cent. Um, We were freshmen in college when that album came out, Get Rich or Die Trying. In the club was in every club. I still remember being at video night. I knew the song. But this was before I realized that he was white famous because this was, you know, this wasn't the black fraternities or this was like, you know, mixed company, more so white than black. And when that song came on and it got to the ghost shawty and everyone started singing it, I was like, oh, I was like, this song is big, big. <laughs> like everybody knew this. I was like, this song is big, big. I was I was blown away. Like, they was playing my song. <laughs> like, that blew me away. I was like, okay, this is it. This is... And then I was like, why didn't anyone do this in video night? As big as this song was. Like, <laughs> They couldn't put the props together for someone to hang upside down. That was... <laughs> and run on a treadmill. And not... That was so cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> when he, like, swung down, I was like, oh, that's so dope. Like... You know, and then like Twenty One Questions comes out. Uh, yeah, he was he was he was pretty big. I want this to be a future episode, of course. Get Richard, I try it. The movie uh, or the album? Both. Both. <laughs> both. Both. <laughs> Actually, you know what? The movie because the movie is ridiculous. But anyway, so I think about Evanescence. I know we've kind of talked about what happened to them, and of course, you know, after that first album, Ben Moody leaves and. I guess tries to make it on his own. I don't know, but he's not yeah. really success. He's not really successful. Did he come back? I can't remember if he did or not. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's too late. Like he should have just stayed together, and they probably could have ruled the world. Um, I feel like he came back. No, he did not. They were not supposed. To, I mean, they were essentially supposed to be what Paramore ended up being. You've got a. a I think so. Like you've got a talented singer. You got a talented female singer. Um. Plays piano. She's got really great range. You put out this album that's huge. Um, And then it just, you know, the follow-up, despite Ben Moody leaving, was, you know, I didn't realize how many people knew um, that song, You Only Call Me When You're Sober. But I compare them because they're that band that black kids kind of got introduced to, to rock with, Evanescence and Paramore. Um, because you could, you know, the songs, while they were kind of heavy, were still kind of accessible, um, especially with Evanescence. They were in, in popular movies. So I, I think that's what they were trying to set it up to be. And I think they thought that I think the record industry probably thought like, oh, they're going to be huge. Yeah. I mean, I think they were they were definitely looked at as the next big thing. Yeah. Um, and it was an era where. <clears throat> I don't know how I would describe it, really. You might be more adept at it, but like a, a certain style of rock music was starting to take over mm-hmm. around 2002, 
Yeah, well, I mean, because we were, I mean, like, we didn't know it at the time, but we were really in the last 10 years of rock music, essentially. Yeah. Like, by about 2010 to 2011, rock music would, and the way in which a lot of people know it, would kind of be dead, aside from the big acts, you know, the big, the, the really big musical acts. But, like, it was, I don't know where it was going, but I think it was going in a way where, even though it was kind of heavy, it was still more accessible somehow. Yeah. And I think you also had, you know, you had black kids who were getting, who were starting to get more into it. And that was just a band. Kind of dressing like them. Yeah. You know, wearing the uh, mechanic shirts yeah. or bowling shirts. With and the I know Jinkos. it sounds weird to say it, but it's like, because, you know, usually it's like your genre blows up when white people get into it. But rock already had white people. Yeah. You, so it was starting to get because because black black people, people started into getting it. into it and really and and we've talked about how you can really see it now and a lot of these newer rappers, you know the ones who cite Kurt Cobain, I think I read Travis Scott cited Bon Iver, isn't <laughs> like you see them with these very varied influences, and so I think that was I think that's what they were being set up to be, but it just didn't work. But as good as they were, what what um not Eminem what Fifty Cent was. And continue to be and is now. Um, I don't know. Like you said, you can't see the future, but like I don't know. Like when you get when you get co-signed by Eminem and Dr. Dre, <laughs> off the top. Like I don't know. Like I kind of feel like that should count for something. Like that to me, that puts him in the in the Drake category, where it's just like you've got the success and you should have the critical acclaim. Because you've got two really influential artists, um, and 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 an influential producer working with you, you know, probably the one of the most influential producers of the last thirty years. Yeah, like if you you know, like you think of your Timbaland, you think of Dr. Dre, Neptunes. Yeah, like it's it's rarefied air, you know. I would say maybe the only thing that the other two do better is pop, but like in terms of like hip hop and what Dr. Dre was able to do, and and how people really just dug his sound, like. Yeah. Uh, also nominated in that category that year, uh, Fountains of Wayne, uh, one hit band. wonder, but you know, great writer. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Adam Slash. Yeah. Uh, Heather Headley, stalker song. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't... she wasn't known for that song. I didn't know she was. At the uh, time, that is. I didn't know she was nominated. That's awesome. And Sean Paul. Oh, he went on to be very successful. Okay. Um, which reminds me, I saw a Watch Mojo list because mm-hmm. I saw a bunch of them over the weekend. Uh, well, over the, this past week, um, they had the uh, people who were banned from Saturday Night Live, like as hosts, mm-hmm. people who were banned, and Adrian Brody has unofficially been banned because when he hosted it. The musical guest was Sean Paul. But when he introduced Sean Paul, you see on SNL, they're like, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Paul. And everyone applauds and then mm-hmm. they start playing the song. But with Adrian Brody, had to be extra because oh, no. he won an Oscar. So he felt like, and, and kissed Halle Berry. So he got to be extra now. Big nosed uh, um, Sean Penn. <laughs> <laughs> Let me stop. That was mean. <laughs> he, um, he's wearing um, fake dreads. Like, just a fake Rasta look and a terrible Jamaican accent. 
So he was really Sean. He was really Sean Pennington. He was. He was. Yeah. He was. Was the guy's name from um, <laughs> Tropic Thunder? <laughs> oh. Uh, oh God. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Yeah, he yeah. was going too far. <laughs> he wore dreads. In. Yeah. Oh God. It was. It was bad. I. Uh, yeah. And he has not been invited back. <laughs> of course. Well, I imagine they don't want that smoke. Um, but yeah, for this for this particular year, Fifty should have won. And and you saw, if anyone saw the footage of when Evanescence went to get their award, it looked like Fifty was about to do something, but he just walked on stage, walked around them, and then came back off the stage. Yeah, I for, <laughs> this is funny because like they're not they're not always as in control as they are. Because when I was looking up some stuff about this, I forgot about Soy Bomb Man. When Bob oh, Dylan was performing, that was so weak because I didn't like. I thought it was a part of the thing, but yeah, nope. <laughs> it was not. That was weird. <laughs> like soy bomb, what does that even mean? <laughs> Get your fifteen minutes, bro. All right, so um, you're number three. <clears throat> All right, so um, this one was "Sometimes You Can't Make It on Your Own," which won Song of the Year 2006. Did not need to win. Didn't think it needed to win. I, I, as a matter of fact, I think it's one of U2's worst songs ever. Um, and I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of the music they did in the 2000s, I, I felt like they were getting passes. Like Elevation, um, Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. Like I think all they really had that was really good after 2000 was like maybe Vertigo and um, Beautiful Day. Like, everything else was kind of like, yeah, we can just, you know. And I'm trying to think, like, what was the song they had that came out after 9-11? Was that Stuck in a Moment? Uh, that was... Um... And they played the they played the Super Bowl, and they they flashed. It was a very emotional moment. They flashed all the um, victims of 9-11 at the Super Bowl. Hold on, I'm, I'm going to I can't remember what song that was. That was, uh... okay, they had the best of. Elevation. Okay, it was from All That You Can't Leave Behind. Uh, it might have been Walk On. Oh, that was a good, that was, okay. I, that was a good song. <laughs> Walk On was, it was a pretty good song. Um, But I, I mean, I don't want to say that they were getting, you know, um, 9-11 clout or whatever, because that sounds bad. Because I don't think you two... Does not strike. I know a lot of people don't like Bono, and he gets a lot of flack because people think he's a D-bag. I don't think they meant anything other than the best intentions when they did that Super Bowl show. Um, Especially being a band not from America. They didn't have to do that. You know, they had no real, quote-unquote, skin in the game as an Irish band. But they still did it. They knew they were performing at an American event, the biggest, you know, of the year. And I thought it was a a really nice gesture. All of that being said... um, we Belong Together was nominated, which was really like the return of Mariah Carey. Um, another banger written by Jermaine Dupri and Manuel, and Manuel Seal, who I think is just like a great duo. Um, you've got Bless the Broken Road, which I know is cheesy. Um, <laughs> the Rascal Flats track. Um, I'm not familiar with Devils and Dust, but then you've got the absolute, I consider, like I tried to, I started making a list of standards because you know you have your jazz standards and I made I started making a list of R and B standards. This song was one of the first I put on it. Ordinary People by John Legend. That's not, that's another one of those songs where I remember where I was when I first heard it, 
and amazing song, beautiful song, just a man and his piano. <laughs> and like, I don't know how you don't choose that. Maybe it's just because you don't know who John Legend is. I don't know, but like, you know, maybe we were still giving it to the old person. I don't know, but like, this is a great freaking song. And I, I just can't believe, you know, they did that he didn't get it. I think people were trying to just keep this YouTube run going because mm-hmm. the early two thousands, like they, they were. It was like they, it was like a resurgence. They, there was they became the biggest band again. Yeah. Until like Coldplay, I think. The so there, yeah, there are two different eras of YouTube being the biggest band in the world, and yeah, then Coldplay just took that which was youtube uh, light <laughs> um i could see that uh because i think from the album uh th- yeah this wasn't even the best song on the album um yeah how to dismantle an atomic bomb so yeah that was the vertigo that, that had vertigo had, yeah. and city of blinding lights mm-hmm and um, all because of you. So, yeah, I think there this were is, better songs yeah. on the album. Yeah, I I think honestly me. this was around the time that they really were like we like slower songs. It's so like even if you look at like the songs that were nominated or won before, "Fallen" by Alicia Keys, a little slow. Don't know why. Dance with my father. Daughters. These are all kind of slower ballads. Um, even that year, because Daughters was one that a lot of people are, you know, think it's controversial because if Fang Got You was also nominated, and John Merrick famously apparently broke the Grammy in half and gave her half of it because he felt that she deserved it too. But like, you know, um, Live Like You Were Dying, which I think is such an awful song um, by Tim McGraw. He has much better. But then the reason. <laughs> by Uba State, which was their one power ballad. Um, and then you think of all the songs in this category. I'm not familiar with Devils and Dust, but I'm willing to bet it's a ballad. We Belong Together. While It's Danceable is kind of a ballad as well. Bust a Broken Road, a ballad. And, and this is what makes, like, this is kind of what they might have been all over the place because usually a song nominated for record of the year is also in the song of the year Mm -hmm. for that particular year for record of the year and song of the year. I think we belong together is the only one that's in both categories. Great production on that song too. (laughs) Great production. So, how is it a song that is in both categories? The only one in both categories not win. I don't know. Who were the other? Who else was nominated that year? Boulevard of Broken Dreams, which won. Okay. Feel Good Inc. by Gorillaz. Hmm. They had an underrated run. An underrated run back then. Gold Digger. <laughs> oh. And Hollaback Girl. <laughs> I'm not even going to front. I did like that song at the time. It has aged, in my opinion, very poorly. Like, it just has not. It's be- There's no melody. Me- it's become a meme. At the time, you could get away with not really having much a melodical. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was. It, I loved it at the time, but like, it just. Like, I go back and listen to it. I'm just like, 
the Neptunes you've done better. Like well, they you, have you, since. Yeah, before and since. So it's like you, like what are y'all doing? You know, and you're like, she went solo for this. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. okay, so that was your number three. Mm-hmm. My number three. It happened twice, but in the same night. <laughs> Macklemore, I knew it was coming. Lamar I knew it was coming <laughs> twice. Once for best new artist, and in that particular year, also included James Blake, Casey Musgraves, and Ed Sheeran. But Macklemore and Ryan Lewis over Kendrick Lamar. Also, um. Uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis beating Good Kid Mad City for best rap album. Good Kid Mad City is the best debut album, even though everyone, I know Section 80 is out there. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone knows about Section 80. But as far as the mainstream debut, one of the best mainstream debut rap albums of the last, um, I'd say 15 years. That was, so that was the album they beat with the, the high speed. Good the Kid high Mad speed, City. good kid, Matt city for best rap album. That's a good album. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. And I know people probably don't want to hear me say it. I'm torn. Cause I, I, res, I like and respect both albums. I like, and I like and respect what Kendrick did and said on good kid, Mad city. But I especially like, and this is where the, this is where the independent artist in me comes out. I also like what Malcolm Moore did as an independent artist. I I can respect yeah, that. Yeah. I can respect that. That's why we call it Seattle the album. Yeah. He got all his friends. He got in all Seattle. of his friends, made an album, <laughs> and made an album, and did it without the help of a major label. Right. Which is and had a hard thing to do. Three huge yeah. hits off of it. And you would have never known. Two of yeah. them were unexpected. Yeah. Well, First actually, all three. Joke. Yeah, all three. All three. Kind of all three were unexpected. Yeah, but then you've got Good Kid. So I didn't realize he beat Good Kid, Mad City. That's damn. That's a really good album. Also nominated in Best Rap Album. Nothing was the same. Who did? Who was that's Drake. Was Drake. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's when he was still good. <laughs> so on Nothing Was the Same, that had All Me, All Me started, started from, from the, the bottom. bottom. Yeah. Hold on, we're going home. Oh, yeah. Pound cake. Whew. Worst behavior. <laughs> um, and that was his only nomination. Who, that was Drake's only nomination. I don't, see, only I really don't think there's got to, considering how close him and, and The Weeknd are, there's got to be something against that they've done or said. I, yeah. There's got to be something. Okay. Uh, also nominated, Magna Carta Holy Grail. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Which could possibly, I, th- it's, I think it's an underrated album for I Jay-Z. love Magna Carta Holy Grail. It's underrated. Tom Ford is is top five for me, for him. <laughs> it's underrated, I, and I think, I don't know if people were turned off by the heavy hitter producers that he had. He had Timbaland and Pharrell and Swiss Beats. Oh, man. I never and looked Rick at Rubin the- Rick Rubin sitting on the couch with no shoes. I never looked at a lot of people nominated that year. Because that was always the like you know, he 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 beat Kendrick Lamar, but it, 
Oh, man, I forget. Okay, that was a good year. And the last one, Jesus, which I always said is incomplete. <laughs> the maligned, the much maligned Jesus that Some people is misunderstood. Like I, I just said it's incomplete. It's like half done. No, I agree. <laughs> and I think I've come to the point of now I'm just I think it was just kind of misunderstood at the time. Because it's, I mean, like it's gone on to inspire people. So I mean, I didn't. I just, it was just weird when it came out. Um, and Macklemore, even though it had three hit songs on it, this was this was this is as good as it gets. Yeah, it, and it's and I mean, like, and I and I feel like saying this is just is almost kind of disrespecting them, but it was it's kind of a pop album, really. Yeah. And I say that because it had wide appeal to it. And I mean, maybe you and credit that to the production of, of Ryan Lewis. I mean, Lewis. he has a song about buying cheap clothes. At a thrift store, yeah. In the era in which he had Versace, 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 yeah. Versace. <laughs> so it it had that, you know, you know, maybe that's that's Ryan Lewis's production is to be because I went after I, I did that. I went back and listened to older Malcolm or Ryan Lewis. It doesn't sound the same. Sounds a little I think different. Like, like Ryan Lewis hit a groove with his production. Yeah. And I think on the next album they did. Oh, it was very different. He tried to, he tried to out, he, I don't know if he tried to outsmart himself or he actually did. <laughs> what that downtown, like I was like, what? That is, was all over the place. I was like, like what is, is this? this? A, is this a power pop song or is this an old school hip hop I had no clue. Cause, yeah, because it had both. It really did. I didn't understand it at all. I I didn't understand it at all. Um. So yeah. Uh, Macklemore has a very unique place in history, but other people talk about those other four albums. Yeah. More than. Well, Seattle. yeah. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's definitely gonna be. Yeah. That's one of those things where. Maybe you can't see into the future, but I still remember when Good Kid, Mad City came out and the buzz and the hype around it. And like, you know, like all I instantly all the things I thought Drake was going to be. I was like, OK, maybe it was Kendrick Lamar that's going to be it <laughs> because he just released probably like you say, one of the greatest debuts ever. Like at that point, I considered it probably one of the best we'd heard in like since the 90s. Like it was definitely better than at that point. It was better than anything Drake had done, and it was different because it's a concept album. Yeah, also, which you don't get much in rap or yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I felt like it was equal to or better than anything Jay Z had done up to that point, and people were considering, you know, Jay Z the goat of that generation. Like any, and it, and it yeah. it's a turn in West Coast hip hop. Yeah, because yeah, I mean. Like Snoop ain't gonna be around forever. He can't carry no. the mantle the whole time. And I think what's so because there's this argument going on 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 on, on um, TikTok where people are saying that Drake is better than Kendrick Lamar, and it was it was utterly maddening because better at what exactly? What making the same hit over and over again to my and so someone said this and this is how what I agree with Drake Kendrick Lamar can do what Drake does. Drake cannot do what Kendrick Lamar does. No. And I think if if you want to see for so for one, Good Kid Mad City not only was artistic, but it actually had singable hits. Swimming pools has a legit hook people can sing along to. And some other stuff on there too. But if you really want to be real, he made damn 
to show that, okay, you think I can't be commercial? I can be commercial. I can make songs that everyone wants to sing and will dominate the charts. The beat for Humble yeah. was meant for Gucci. Yeah. He, <laughs> like, he took all the money he made from Damn, and he was like, I'm, I'm good. And now he's just making art. He's making what he wants to make. And he and Damn will fund it all. <laughs> like, he, Top Dog will can live off of Damn for a long time. Like, he won't have to make another Damn for a while. Or well, if he even is, wants to ever. He hasn't. Isn't that the last one he made? No, I think. Um, yeah, Damn is the last album he made. Oh, that was? Okay. I thought he well, had done. Well, no, he did the Black Panther soundtrack. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was, okay, well, that doesn't. Yeah, he made money off of that, too. I thought he did To Pimp a Butterfly before, after. No, Damn was. Damn was. Before. After? Okay. Damn, Damn was after To Pimp a Butterfly. Okay. I, I, got my, I got my albums mixed up. So, essentially, he made, he made a commercial album, I think, to prove that he could do it. Ate off of it. Does whatever he wants now. He's at the this weird comparison. He's at the John Mayer um, point well, of his he's, career. He's uh, his nephew, Baby Keem, and you know, it, it he's making memeable songs basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. I think so he's he, at he's the him up. the John Mayer point because I think essentially what John John Mayer just he does whatever the hell he wants now. He's he's made he made his 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 artsy albums. He made his poppy albums, and now he's just like I've got money and. I don't really care about impressing you people. So, <laughs> and I think that's where Kendrick is. He, damn, but I paid the soundtrack. I don't really care about impressing you people anymore. I can just sit back and, and just off of those, like a Jimi Hendrix run, you know? Like he made an announcement that he's making one final album under Top Dog. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do wonder if that is because I've heard there's issues there with that record label that they don't treat their artists very well at Top Dog. I, I don't know what it is, but. If he's just a, hey, I'm making like one last one to fulfill the contract ah, yeah. and to go do my own thing. So then there'll probably be like a greatest hits album that comes out. Like you owe us one more. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble fans, but usually when you get that early, that early greatest hits, they're just trying to fulfill that contract. <laughs> oh man, it's so sad. All right, so uh, number two. So I'm trying to finally hear this happen, but. Um, this one was a travesty. Jethro, Jethro Tull um, winning the first metal Grammy over Metallica. Uh, I can pull it up. Was it 89? It was 1989 or 1990. Okay. Um, it almost kind of felt like a joke. <laughs> and I think it's just because the at that time, so kind of how like Greg has said, they like almost jazz. I think <laughs> they were still running off of like the 70s definition of heavy metal, at which some people might consider Jethro Tull in the 70s, oh, that's that's hard rock heavy metal. But since then, we had this little band out of the Bay Area called Metallica. <laughs> and they helped usher in, you know, this really cool thing called Thrash. And it's where, like, the music's heavy and you play it fast and you have songs like Masters of Puppets and... Things like that. And, and and then they came out with an album called Injustice for All. And it was a really good album. And you you don't give them an award for it. Okay. So um, the best hard rock slash metal performance, vocal or instrumental, it was a, this was the only year. That's probably why that I can't. It had this particular <clears throat> category. Okay. Because I was looking. I was like, why can't I find it? So it was the only year of this category. Um of course, everyone thought it's going to be Metallica. 
because that's what hard rock heavy metal is, right? <laughs> it lost to Jethro Tull, Crest of a Knave, and also uh, uh, also nominated were Jane's Addiction, Iggy Pop, and ACDC. I will say Jane's Addiction shocked me a little bit because they're more just, but I guess if this is hard rock metal performance, Jane's Addiction is is hard alternative rock. They were kind of ahead of their time too with what they were doing. 1989, it wasn't like really broken down the way that it yeah. is now. Once again, a genre I don't think they understand. Right. So they get it wrong. You know, just like with hip hop, they don't understand it. So they don't know what's like someone probably had to tell them like, hey, you know, this band Metallica is like the biggest band in the world right now. Like one of the biggest bands, metal or otherwise. Really? Well, you know, well, what about Jethro Tull? They had Aqualung. Like, no, <laughs> you give it to Metallica. They just played Russia. <laughs> it's like half a million people. <laughs> it didn't yeah. make sense. It didn't make sense. It's really weird, you know, and it didn't make sense when I heard it, you know, 20 years ago. And it's still to this day is, is weird. But that's what happens when you don't have the right people in the room. In this case, it was, you know, fans of hard rock music. It was, um, uh, it's a, this incident is often considered an example of the Grammys being out of touch with yeah. popular sentiment. Yeah. And to, you know, to the credit of some of the other things we've talked about, when you don't have, you know, I'm going there, people of color in certain rooms, you know, you, you know. Someone probably would have told them, you know, and regardless of how you feel about it, someone might have told them, hey, maybe you shouldn't give it to Ryan Lewis and Malcolm Moore. Malcolm Moore and Ryan Lewis. Maybe you shouldn't give it to them. Right or wrong, however you feel about that. But that's what happens when you don't have certain people in certain rooms. What made this even worse, Metallica performed at the ceremony that year, and it was the first time a heavy metal group had performed. Really? So they were expected to win. Mm. And Jethro Tull didn't even show up because they're like, we're not winning that. And they they knew they weren't. We're not we're not heavy metal. Grammy said, hold my beer. (laughs) And when presenters Alice, Alice Cooper, the nicest man in rock. Yeah. And Lita Ford announced the result. There was booing. Um. And <laughs> Ian Anderson That's later said, hilarious. there's I'm... no way I could have accepted it under those circumstances. Oh, man. <laughs> I would love to meet Alice Cooper. He seems like he's just a wonderful human being. Um, and probably like inside was just laughing, you know, it's like, huh, all right. Well, hey, you know. <laughs> um, so that was uh, that was your number two. Mm-hmm. Um. That's also my number two. Okay. Uh, my number one is a is kind of a tie, but there's a reason for that. Okay. So what's your number one? <clears throat> Everyone should know how I feel about this. This was the day I officially no longer wanted to win a Grammy. It was when Pretty Wings lost to Single Ladies. Um. I feel that is the single biggest mistake that the Grammys have ever made. Um, Pretty Wings is, I mean, you got, you got, you got Maxwell who's this far into his career and he's, and he's putting stuff like this out. Like this song is absolutely enchanting. Like just the way he sings it, 
the performance behind it. And granted, I know, you know, this is a performance. This is not a performance Grammy, but just the way it was written, the syncopation, the lyrics are beautiful. The music is simple yet complex. Um, it was just beautiful. And I just I can't believe it didn't win. I, I can't believe it did not win. And I will say this song was a slow burn for me. Um, my ex at the time was really into this song. Her and her sister were really into it. And I the video was kind of weird, so I didn't really pay it too much attention. But then I heard it, and I was like, oh, this song's amazing. This is, you know. And then when the Grammys come around, <laughs> and they're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to give it to Single Ladies. You know, written by, what well, Terrius Nash is, is the, dream, the Dream. And, and Christopher Stewart, Tricky. Tricky. Um, who and, Tricky worked uh, on some Britney Spears stuff in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, Cook Harrell. Yeah, it just... I didn't, it just, it felt like, at, at best, Single Ladies feels like a gimmick song to me. Like, it just feels like, it It feels like a gimmick and it feels uh, What was the word you used earlier? Amelodic? It is, it is kind of amelodic. It's kind of amelodic. The chord progression in the, in the chorus is, is interesting. But, like, outside of that, like, yeah, it's kind of sing-songy rappy in the verses. Because there's just not, there's not much chord progression really behind it. Um... And now, so then, even looking at the lot for that year, so you've got Poker Face from the Force that is the monster, um, by um, by I about to say by Poker Face by Lady Gaga. You've got You Somebody, which not a bad song, not the best from that album, but of course it fits the mold of let's choose their slower song. It, it was <laughs> it was poppy enough, yeah, and it sounded big enough where people thought they could, sing. yeah. Which, interestingly <laughs> enough, that's a good point because um, the singer from Kings of Leon sings with a very thick southern accent to where you'd almost think he's singing country. And the rest of the songs on that album just do not fit the Grammys. You know, like um, Crawl does not fit the Grammys. You sure as hell can't have Sex on Fire nominated. <laughs> you can't do that. Um, then you've got You Belong With Me by Taylor Swift, which, I mean... I don't think this is the best song that she's ever done. And clearly she's fine because she has won um, three really big Grammys from them. So I think she's okay. <laughs> but my clear choice would have been Pretty well, this, Wings. This same year she won the album. Mother of the year, year for Fearless, yeah. Um, but I, I feel like this song should have easily won um, over Single Ladies Put a Ring on it. I don't know if the Grammys were trying to make a statement with that song. I don't know. Because um, I think, well, no, because this was people would have been because this was the third, yeah, this is the third album, and she hadn't really won anything won yet. Anything yet. Yeah. yeah, this this man, this song just is amazing. Yeah, my second choice would have been Poker Face. I thought Poker Face was interesting. It kind of has an amelodic verse as well. But the chorus, oh my god, like, her and Red One just made, just, just beautiful. Yeah, but Pretty Wings, I, I, I felt like stood out and is, you know, probably but like. compared to the other, oh, sorry. Uh, compared to the others, it's the underdog. What, Pretty Wings? Yeah. Yeah, in terms it's of like, the, artist notoriety, the, yeah. yeah. It's the underdog compared, as far as like, Single Ladies was number one, Poker Face, number one. You somebody was up there, top ten, top five, maybe. Mm-hmm. You belong with me was a top ten, top five hit. Mm-hmm. So, 
pretty wings did i don't think maybe somebody that year was thinking chart success also yeah i'm sure they were i'm sure they were because they this was around the time i mean they'd made questionable decisions before and usually you know you get these really great songs you know nominated in 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 the, in the category like i looked at the year before reviva la vida won chasing pavement <laughs> is nominated like i'm yours love song american boy so I, I don't know i think they started making in the 2010s at least there were some very questionable decisions um stay with me being one of them um but yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there. that's what i like being another i just but yeah all right, so my number one, I said there was kind of a tie, but there's a reason. Um, I'm not a fan of live albums. Mm, okay. Uh, getting this kind of notoriety. Um, Eric Clapton and Tony Bennett, <laughs> both winning album of the year for Unplugged. It's cheating. <laughs> it's cheating. Now I understand with the un- I like the Unplugged series. Uh, I think the best Unplugged is Nirvana's. Okay, I can respect that. That's a good. Uh, that's a very good album. It's supposed to be you know an acoustic set, rearranging other songs. Um, kind of an issue I had uh, one with Eric Clapton's Unplugged. Winning album of the year. And I believe it also won best rock song for Layla, the unplugged version of Layla. It's really weird because I, um, well, I didn't know she was nominated that year. Um, that was the first version of it that I heard. But then when I heard the original, I was like, oh, this is so much better. <laughs> so the unplugged version of Layla beat out Diggity in the Dirt by, uh, Peter Gabriel, Human Touch by Bruce Springsteen, Jeremy by Pearl Jam, and Smells Like Teen Spirit. In the rock category? In the best rock song category. A song that already existed. Mm. I didn't know Jeremy was nominated. I probably would have given it to that. I would have, I, I yeah, I would have, between Jeremy and Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. Uh, it could have gone either way. Digging the Dirt, also not a bad song. I don't really consider it a rock song. But, I mean, the Grammys yeah. don't understand. They don't understand yeah. the rock category. They don't understand a lot of their categories. So they try to create more, and it just it just looks worse. <laughs> it really does. We don't know where to put these black people, so let's go Urban Alternative. That'll um, show them. <laughs> so it won Best Rock Song. I'm looking while, at the, while it is a it is a reimagining of the song. It, I, I yeah I, I give guess, it a performance Grammy you know not a song. Well, it won best rock vocal performance, which is not a the, great singer though either. So. The um, the the whole album itself, which beat out Brian Adams, there will never be another tonight. Tom Cochran, Life Is a Highway. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Gabriel digging in the dirt, Bob Seger the fire inside, and Bruce Springsteen the human touch. And yes, this is the same category that uh, Lady Kravitz would later dominate. What <laughs> always got me about their categories too, like until recently, 
they never nominated anything contemporary. I felt like at least. Yeah. Like, why are you? Why is Bob Seger <laughs> in the nineties <laughs> getting nominated for Grammys? Like, you couldn't find anyone else. You know, when did when did Bad Motorfinger come out? You didn't want to nominate <laughs> that. You know. You know who was nominated down in the a next hole? Year? Like, actually, <laughs> when Eric Clapton won for Unplugged, it was his second straight Grammy in '92. Somehow, this wasn't awarded because see, they don't know what they're doing. Um, and then in '94, they didn't award it. And then in '95, Bruce Springsteen finally wins. But who's also nominated? Neil Young, Van Morrison, Peter Gabriel again, and Beck. In the okay. That's the one person that was actually relevant at the time. Like, why is Van Morrison getting nominated for Grammys in the 90s? It's just, there's other rock artists out there. What what year was this? 1995. 95. So you, you probably had, um, I think, Alanis Morissette, probably. You probably had, um, hell, I think you had an album from Lenny Kravitz. You could have put that in there. <laughs> Let Actually, Love Alanis Morissette was the next year. Okay. Let Love Rule probably was out, if not uh, Mama Said. <laughs> so in 95, for Best Rock Song, it was Streets of Philadelphia. Oh, the um, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen. Which beat Come to My Window. A great. She Okay, she was relevant at the time. I, she was kind I'm of the fresh. only one, also by Melissa Etheridge. Great songs. All Apologies by Nirvana. Okay. See? See? And Black I, Hole Sun. They, they understand how to do this. They're, they're inconsistent <laughs> They're just at best. inconsistent. They and, then, un- <laughs> and then the next year, you ought to know wins. I, maybe they're starting, <laughs> you think, oh, they're starting to get it right? Oh, man. No. No, they're not getting it right yet. So funny, I didn't realize Ingenue by Katie Lang was nominated for Album of the Year that year. Yeah. Um. That's one of my favorite songs ever with Constant Craving. I've not listened to really any more of that album. I feel like I probably should. Like Constant Craving was just such a great song. So also nominated with Eric Clapton's Unplugged, Op Tongue Baby by U2, The Beauty and the Beast soundtrack, Diva by Annie Lennox, and Katie Lang's Ingenue. Diva had um, Broken Glass and No More I Love Yous, and right, that was a good album. Um. No, it had what? Well, yeah, Walking on Broken Glass and Why and Little Bird. Why Little Bird? Oh God, I used to cover that song. Why is a great? That's a that's a good album. That's a good album. Yeah. Octung Baby with Brian Eno and Steve Lillywhite as producers. They that's the Steve Lillywhite's their longtime collaborator. I don't know how long they worked with Brian Eno, but I never I didn't know that they worked on Octung Baby. Yeah. I didn't know that. So with Tony Bennett. Why that, I had an issue with that. Like I said, cheating. <laughs> uh, it was not unplugged. Then no, he had a not, He had no. a full band. Yeah. Well, kind of a full, he had, okay, he had a trio. But still. He had enough for it to not be unplugged. And he beats out From the Cradle by Eric Clapton. So there he is again. Longing in Their Hearts by Bonnie Raitt. Uh, I guess because she already won, she already been nominated twice before. She already got her one. <laughs> Seal by Seal, and this is the one that had "Kiss from a Rose," mm-hmm. "Prayer for the Dying," and "Don't Cry." Don't cry. And such if a I great could, song. 
Yeah. Produced by Trevor Horn. Mr. I can do it by myself. (laughs) Everybody get out. (laughs) And I'll do it. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And also the three tenors in concert. So you you have, I guess, someone who had won before, two two artists who had won before, uh, the adult contemporary, the new adult contemporary king at the time, which is Seal, and then the three tenors in concert, which I felt like was only hyped by PBS. Yeah. I came hearing about that through PBS and those types of networks mm-hmm. and not really anybody Anyone else. else? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm only 10, 11 years old when this happens. But it, like I said, like the the Grammys will reward almost jazz. Yeah. And they rewarded full-on jazz here with Tony <laughs> Bennett. Uh, so and then with the other just with the other albums and the and the other the other projects that came out that year i felt like this was a setup maybe they thought tony bennett was about to die and he's still around mm, maybe he just put out an album with late, a second album with lady gaga yeah um so i think i just feel like the unplugged albums were cheating and uh the recording academy wasn't even trying uh, as far as to be progressive in mm-hmm. what and looking at the music landscape and uh, rewarding all the new things that were that were going on. Yeah, I, and, and that's one thing I guess I'm kind of taking away from this here is their nomin their nominee pools are very are usually very old, and I'm just sitting here looking at like the '90s. There were some there were some very interesting. You know, like 97, which I felt was a really great year for music. That was your Falling Into You one, but you've also got Old Olay by Beck, which was a great album. The Score by the Fugees, great album. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, which a little overrated, but still one of the, like, to as a rock band, to put out a double album wasn't really happening very much. And then the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack. Out of everything I'm seeing here, that's probably one of the more progressive years where there's like not you know an old person that they just felt like they had to give it to yeah give it a, a mercy nomination and then 99 whereas the miseducation of lauren hill come on over by shania twain which you have an episode on the globe session cheryl crow ray of light by madonna who i know she was big in the 80s but she was still big and oh, then ray of light was huge yeah and then version 2.0 by garbage and so, this i remember that year being particularly it was with seeing it on vh1 People were excited, like we have five, we have four female solo artists and a band with a female lead singer. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal at the time. Yeah, and then and then the album that cheated the next year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I know we did not mention um, Two Against Nature, uh, beating out the Marshall Mathers LP and Kid A. Um, I, I I just wanted to give a, a something a different perspective, but that is definitely uh, you know Marshall Mathers just talked uh, Eminem talked about mm-hmm. that in, the, in the, the clip we played. Um, I would have stopped going then. <laughs> uh, the old brother, where art thou? Soundtrack that y'all 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 shoved that down our throats. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it, the movie isn't even that good. Never seen it. Um, I like Man of Constant Sorrow, but not more than I like everything else. <laughs> and, you know, all, Nora Jones, almost jazz. Yeah. Um, Esperanza Spaulding, almost jazz. Ray Charles, almost jazz. And it's really sad because... Bernie Hancock, it is jazz, but... I don't want to poop... They favored that. I want to poop on the legacy of, of what I think is one of the greatest bands of all time in Steely Dan. But it's just like, you couldn't do it Steely back then. Steely Dan in 2001? You couldn't do it. That's what I'm saying. You couldn't do it back then when they're putting out Babylon Sisters and Deacon Blues. and Or the, the solo stuff Donald Fagan yeah. was doing. The Nightfly is really good. Yeah. They've got better stuff. And it was just really sad that like that's, they waited that long to do it, you know? Um, I haven't listened to anything from Raising Sand. Is that almost jazz too? Was Ra- I don't even know what Raising Sand. That's is. the uh, Robert Plant, Allison Krauss. Oh album. no, no, that's that's like um, bluegrass, country and bluegrass. See, they'll do that too. Yeah, if it's Americana not folk. jazz, if it's Americana, like the Sturgill Simpson one album, one um, what did he win? Was it Best New Artist? No, I think he won. Uh, I was, he was nominated for Album of the Year. Yes, I, I, and, I, and it's funny because I've gone back and I really like Turtle Simpson now. <laughs> and I think that the Recording Academy wants to favor, like, leads more towards, Amer- like, the, the music that is more American, mm-hmm. which I guess you would say it, it is jazz, and there's that, that country music, Amer- uh, that Americana, mm-hmm. but so is hip-hop. Hip-hop is American. Very American, yeah. Um, rock music has... Heavy American influence. Yeah, there may be styles that different styles from around the world, but heavy American influence because it came from blues, mm-hmm. which came from who people? Black people. Black people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> so that's our because five uh, Grammy snubs. Um, yeah. And, I mean, if you just look at the the nominees throughout history, there's always that one. And then to be more inclusive, they expand it to, instead of just five, then it's eight or ten nominees. And that doesn't help. It doesn't help the situation. Mm -mm. All right. It's after midnight. Let's get out of here. All right. So my earworm of the week Um, and listening to... I've been diving deeper into 80s music um, and not just the not just the hits that people <laughs> know of. I found some other things. Um, while technically Wicked Game by Chris Isaac is an 80s song because it came out in 89, my earworm of the week comes from his debut album, self-titled. And uh, he was on to something. Uh, with his sound. I mean, yeah, it was inspired by, you know, Roy Orbison, <laughs> um, which is fine. Yeah. But in the 80s, how do you how do you market that? I don't know because if I've ever heard more than Wicked Game by him. So this I'm this album this? did not sell very well. Oh. But in listening to it, it's very good. It's it's like 80s rockabilly. OK, basically. Um and like sparse lyrics, 
uh, it's blues. That's not really the focus. Mm -hmm. The instrumentation is it's interesting to me also. So this is Blue Hotel by Chris Isaac uh, from his self-titled debut. And we'll be right back. by Chris Isaac from his self-titled debut. And you can find that song along with our other earworms of the week in a big old Spotify playlist. That was interesting. At first, it had White Yoakum vibes to it, but then it just goes into like, it's, yeah, like country rockabilly kind of. And he had a bunch of like West Coast musicians playing on it. I'm looking at him. Yeah. Like, the guy who played guitar on it was, like, in a punk band, and the drummer, uh, one of the drummers was in um, The Tubes in Jefferson Starship. This is very, that's very interesting. A lot of people to have playing on your album. <laughs> Especially a song like that. It's just weird. I dug that, though. All right, so uh, that'll bring us to the end of this episode. Um, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you can see where to find us, where to listen to us. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's about it. So, yeah. what should, what should we end this episode with? Love the way you lie. <laughs> Is that a snub? I mean, it was nominated for song of the year, and I lost to the, you know the Lady Antebellum song. Um, some really great versions of this song too. This is this is a good song. All right, so we'll end it with Love the Way You Lie, Eminem and Rihanna from Eminem's album, Recovery. And uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. Watch me burn. Well, that's all right because I like the way it hurts. Just gonna stand there and hear me cry. Well, that's all
I can't tell you what it really is. I can only tell you what it feels like. And right now, it's a steel knife in my windpipe. I can't breathe, but I still fight. Well, I can fight. As long as the wrong feels right, it's like I'm in flight. High off a of law, drunk from my hate. It's like I'm huffing pain. I love her the more I suffer. I suffocate. And right before I'm about to drown, she resuscitates me. She fucking hates me. Just go.